always talking. <laughs> In Italian, sounds much nicer. You know, yeah. He's content to be a jerk. He doesn't care who knows it. This is the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Shut Up, You're Always Talking. I am pizza artist Eric John. And uh, before we get into it, I want to tell you about my friend John Scambato over at Yacht Club Soda. Uh, John's making the best artisan sodas in the entire world. I'm not kidding you. This is not hyperbole. It's the best soda you've ever had. I've been drinking it since I was a little kid. It's Rhode Island's official soda. Uh, and now you can go online and you can get Yacht Club Soda uh, for your very own. Uh, go to yachtclubsoda.com. Check out all the flavors they have. They have blue raspberry, lemon lime, orange cream, root beer, strawberry, grapefruit, grape. It goes on and on and on. Some of the most delicious sodas you've ever had in your life. With summer coming up, uh, your party will not be complete without some Yacht Club Soda from my friend John Scambato. So go to yachtclubsoda.com and order yours today. Um, okay, on today's show, um, very happy to welcome uh, Dan McGowan, uh, who's a columnist from the Boston Globe, uh, who usually spends uh, his days and nights uh, writing about politics. Um, but uh, today, uh, he's coming on the show to talk about pro wrestling with me. Uh, we're both huge pro wrestling fans going back to when we were little kids. Um, and so I'm really excited to be able to welcome him on the show today. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, man. So so for everyone listening, um, you know, Dan is very, very well known um, in, in Rhode Island and New England for uh, his political takes and his column at the Boston Globe. Um, what a lot of people probably don't know is that he's a huge pro wrestling fan. And so um, I'm really excited that he wanted to join me and talk a little bit about what's going on in the WWE because I'm also a huge uh, wrestling fan. So thanks again for joining me, Dan. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, you summed that up well. I try to sometimes insert uh, the fact that I like wrestling because I'm certainly not afraid of it um, <laughs> into my, you know, my column when I'm certainly, you know, vocal about it on Twitter and things like that. But you're right. It's funny. People people might hear this podcast and be like, what the heck does this guy know about wrestling? <laughs> well, you know, I, I've the other thought I've had, too, is um, I wonder how much your knowledge and experience of professional wrestling um, informs your opinion on the political world. It's a great question. Uh, it's funny. I don't. I, I don't know if you've read the book yet, but that uh, my friend Abraham Reisman just wrote um, about. It's a Vince McMahon uh, book. It was on the New York Times bestseller list last week, and it's it's the unauthorized biography of Vince McMahon. And and interestingly, uh, she makes this this uh, sort of co- connection to kind of the world. Uh, you know, kind of going nuts over the last, you know, couple of years and, you know, very much ties. So it sort of makes the case that that the theater that you see in professional wrestling actually looks a lot like the politics we see in our country. And I think it was really, really trendy, um, you know, after the 2016, during the 2016 elections and after with President Trump uh, being elected, it was really trendy to see, like you'd see, 
you know, uh, like think pieces written on how wrestling and politics are so the same, like, you know, Slate or the New York Times would have these articles. And it's so interesting because I, I get why people make that connection. And, and I could probably go down the rabbit hole and, and, and certainly make similar connections. But, you know, I, it, it, the, the, the hard part is, is that I view sort of my interest in wrestling and and the you know the storylines and really I mean I think I'm probably like you I really like the business of it um, and and I try to you know I, I think of it as an escape so I try to not think of it as the the, the political stories and, and and all that stuff but you know it's hard to ignore some of the political connections obviously you know we have a former president who hosted WrestleMania twice you know four and five and uh, and has been on the show was in WrestleMania you know the Battle of the Billionaires many years ago so uh, there are certainly those connections but sometimes I think it might be a little kind of uh, to, to use the cliche trumped up uh, uh, for, for the for, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think Trump and Vince McMahon are kind of similar in a lot of ways, if you really think about it. Right. And also, um, you know, I, I think that um, what's what's so interesting about uh, pro wrestling, I think, other than compared to other forms of entertainment. And I, I wonder if this is one of the reasons you like it as well, is that there's sort of a build like build your own adventure element of it where the audience right the audience really does sort of dictate almost in real time what's going to happen with with some of these wrestlers right oh my god it, you you just said it so on the head and and not just build your own adventure you know of course like what you, you know when you think about storylines and what's pop you know what gets over and what doesn't get over um but even more than that I think that it's, you know, I'm somebody who can go, though I, I will admit, I, you know, I probably at least, I would say I read more about what's happening than I, than I do watch. Although, of course, I watch WrestleMania and, you know, I DVR Raw, although I don't always watch it. But the thing about this is, is that not only does the, does the character or does the fans get to kind of push the characters and, and, you know, what you see ends up being, you know, again, what the fans either really like or what they really hate um, because both, you know, both sides make money. Um, but then the other cool part of it is, is, you know, for me as a li- lifelong fan, I'm 36 now. I've been a fan since I was five years old and over time, you know, you, you can sort of adjust. So when I'm a kid, right, I'm sucked into the to Hulk Hogan and then, you get a little bit older and you're, you know, you're really into the NWO or Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then, you know, you get, you get a little bit older than that. And anyway, I think there's like a running joke for a long time. You go off to, you know, high school and you start to like girls and pay attention to sports more. Maybe you, you give up on wrestling and then you come back to it. A lot of people will come back to it. I definitely am that person who kind of came back to it and really started to appreciate the business side of it. I, I love listening to some of the business podcasts about it, the something to wrestle podcast, things like that. And then reading books and learning more about it. And so not only do you create your own adventure with what happens in the ring, but as a fan, you know, I, I can both talk to you relatively fluently about the product, but also the thing I love to talk about, the thing I love to tell my friends who think I'm totally a nerd, I love to tell them how fascinating the business is. And right now, because of the sale, the, the best thing is, is that, 
now they're suddenly paying attention because they saw it in the Wall Street Journal or or in a big you know in a big article, and they want to know, hey, what does this all mean and things like that. So now I feel like the true expert. Yeah, that's so funny. You've mentioned sort of going away from it and coming back to it because I've done that at least like four or five times in my life. Um, and you know, I'm I'm 39, so I'm only a little bit older than you, but you were old enough. Um, to be around for sort of the, the peak of Hulkamania, right, in the very early 90s, um, and then sort of the, as it sort of started to decline. Um, do you do you remember your, like, your real first memory of watching wrestling? Like, do you have, like, a, a sort of clear memory of it? Very much so. I couldn't be more clear, to be honest with you. Uh, it was in, in uh, late 1991, so I'm five years old, and I'm flipping across the, you know, channels and it was Saturday, you know, Saturday morning wrestling. And it was, uh, the snake biting macho man, Randy Savage. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a very popular one. Classic. Right. And I was horrified by it. I still hate snakes to this day because of Jake, the snakes, Cobra, but I was also to- totally captivated by it. And, you know, remember, that's a really cool time because shortly thereafter, you get the, the maybe what I would call the best Royal Rumble ever. That's the first time I ever, like, lobbied anybody in my family to buy the pay-per-view. So we, we get to see the Royal Rumble. 1992? In uh, 92, which is Ric Flair going from, you know, three yeah. to the end. It's amazing. Uh, one of the best, yeah, one of the best shows ever. And the thing is, I was thinking about this before I came on your show, because the the interesting thing is that those couple of years, so let's say, you know, I'm five years old, so I don't remember every single thing that's happening, but I'm totally into it. But for the next couple of years, the business really goes in the tank, right? You know, you, you, it's that era of all the characters who are, you know, the plumber and the Duke, the dumpster Drossy and all these, you know, th- that kind of stuff. And it wasn't a fantastic product. Although, then you think about how you and I, and you will remember this very well, how we kind of consumed wrestling back then. So while there was Monday Night Raw and there was, you know, Saturday WCW, uh, you know, on TNT or TBS, the truth is, I don't know if, if you're like me, but I got all of my wrestling from going to the video store and renting you know, WrestleMania or, you know, any of those things. And so the Hulk Hogan for me, you know, even though Hulk Hogan actually happens like a couple of years, like the big craze happens a couple of years before my time. I mean, I felt like Hulk Hogan was my hero because I was always renting, you know, I I rented WrestleMania three, you know, slamming Andre the giant. And so uh, it's funny because even in those years where the product wasn't particularly good, at least in, in, in retrospect, um, you know, I'm still in love with it because I'm seeing all this stuff for the first time. Uh, and then what, what, you know, very quickly thereafter you get, you know, the, you get WCW and NWO and then you get stone cold and, really the business takes off from there and so you know in some ways i was really fortunate because you know i'm consuming all this stuff that's old but it's awesome and that keeps me hooked even when the show is boring and then of course like the business you know has has always been it's ups and downs right and and then the business gets real i mean hotter probably than it ever has been uh you know from let's say 96 until 2000 yeah, the, it's man, it's so funny. Did, did you hear um, Jake the Snake talk about that 
that snake biting incident uh, on Joe Rogan. Did you hear that episode? You know, I think I did. I've heard him say over the years that it was like it, that that it was you know de- it was obviously devenomized and stuff like that. But that but that Macho Man, I, th- I think this was on Rogan Show that Macho Man like really did not want to take the bite, and and I think he. Did he make him? Did he make the snake bite Jake first? Yeah, he did. He he made, and it's so funny to listen to him tell the story because he does a really good macho man voice um, as he's telling the story. But yeah, he made he made Jake uh, he made him have the snake bite his leg first to prove that it was because he and his and his reasoning was is like you know maybe there's someone out there who wants the intercontinental title <laughs> and the macho man goes to sleep. You know, oh, so funny, man. These guys, they're such characters and. Um, you know, it's funny. The thing I remember, my first real, real strong memory, it was a similar type of uh, event, but it wasn't the snake biting event, but it was probably the same year, around the same time. I remember The Undertaker uh, putting the Ultimate Warrior in a casket, and the casket yes. was locked, and they couldn't get it open. And they were like, they had like power drills. And this goes back to like how, like, they really sold this stuff like so well back then. Um, that as a kid, I was convinced that he was dead. Like I mean, I remember being so concerned and then they opened it up and of course he was like lifeless and it was like, it was, it was like almost sort of traumatizing to watch it as totally. a little kid, you know, it's terrifying. It's like, and, um, of course, obviously well, I, he wasn't really t- dead, but. Of course, of course, right. I'll tell you what's funny is, is so my father passed away a couple of years ago and, and, but he's oh, the one that, you know. Oh, thank, thank you. And he, he, but he was the one, you know, I was, I, I, I only have an older sister. So my dad, you know, like a lot of people, your story is going to be, your dad's going to be the one that takes you to the live events and, and do this thing. And I have this vivid memory and my dad was really like, would really get into it for me. And he was really good at impersonations. He could do, he could do lots of, and he used to do Paul Bearer and it used to make me cry. Oh, I used to no. get so scared. And, and you know, and he would obviously like, you know, come in. in, in but he, uh, and, and, but you're right because those, you know, that, that ultimate warrior, uh, uh, you know, scene and just all those, um, you know, that they would go into the, the cemetery or, or whatever it was. It was so terrifying for a little kid. It really, it really was. And, um, Oh man, you know, God, it's amazing how these memories never leave your your brain because they they they're so imprinted on you. And you know that that period you talked about, I think, where you know the product really kind of suffered for a little while. Sort of following, I think, following the the you know WrestleMania nine wasn't that well received, right? And then that's right. WrestleMania ten was bet was much better, but then after that, there was a few years there, you know, where it really suffered. But it wasn't really that long until it really picked up again with stone cold and and uh the attitude era um is that more the era where you really started going to more live events definitely yeah you know i remember it's funny you not to be uh just go down every single rabbit hole of every memory we ever had because i'm sure we could do that oh i love it i love it please tell me I'll i'll tell you my very first memory of um, of a live event. So I grew up in Connecticut. So, uh, so um, our live event was the New Haven Coliseum. That's where we always went to. Uh, you'd go to the Hartford Civic Center for the big, big ones like WrestleMania 11, which I didn't go to. Um, but uh, the, the New Haven Coliseum was like, I guess, what, what the dunk would be or what the Providence Civic Center was. Um, and so I remember this so well because it was funny enough, it was with my dad and the it was during the summer because 
my older sister was into like tap dancing. And so my mother had taken my sister to Disney for, for, you know, a dancing competition. And so it was this like, you know, boys kind of weak, me and my dad. And we went to, first we went to Yankee stadium for old timers day. And I remember I got sick and I, I, and it turned out I had the chicken pox. Oh, geez. And, and, but so that was, let's say it had to be a Saturday and Monday we were going to wrestling and this is terrible to say because it is, you know, in a post COVID world, but I know where you're going. My father, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My father did not want me to miss my first live wrestling event. So with the chicken box, I, you know, I, I went to the show and I remember the only person, cause it used to be much more than now because of this, the way the setup was the big thing was like, you'd run to the ringside to like slap wrestlers hands. And my father had no qualms about me, you know, reaching over and trying to get people's, you know, trying to like slap high five. And the only person I ever, I got was, um, El Matador, Tito Santana. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and, and, but I clearly had chicken box. And so God forbid, I mean, God knows how many kids I got sick that day. Oh, did, you, uh, did your dad put the, like, uh, the like makeup on each little pock to try to hide him? That Well, he put, he gave me the, I remember I was like, I had, I think it was, I, I would, it was still in that early phase where like they were starting to pop up and I was like a little itchy, but like then a couple of days later, you're really sick and it's terrible. But, but he was like, no problem. You'll be fine. Everybody needs to get chicken box anyway, which is just horrific given the world we live in now where you wouldn't go out if you had a cold. <laughs> I'll do you one better. Cause I got the chicken pox, um, when we were down in Florida one year when I was a kid, obviously. And, um, we ended up having to like cancel our flight, but you know, we also did have to get back. So it was like a few days later, I s still had the chicken, you know, still had the pox. On of course, me. Yeah. And, uh, I remember my mother putting the, putting the makeup on them, covering them up. And then my <sighs> grandmother and my mother took us, me and my brother, both of us had it on the airplane. And we, and told, and my grandma, my grandmother telling me I had like a little stuffed animal at the time, you know, I was probably six and she told me to put like, like hold it over my face every time the stewardess <laughs> would walk by because she, <laughs> even when we're in the air, like they're going to throw us out, you know, out, out, yeah, out, what are they out gonna the door. Do by the you know time I mean? you get on. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's a totally different time. Totally different That's time. So funny. Um, all right. So I want to know what your thoughts are on the most recent WrestleMania. So I, one, I do not love the two nights, um, in, in, in the last, uh, I went to two years in a row. I went to WrestleMania in Orlando a couple of years ago. And then, uh, in new, new Orleans, uh, a couple of years or the year after, uh, I forget which ones those were. One was the famous was, uh, Brock Lesnar beating the undertaker. Um, Oh wow! And and those were and those were fun. I dragged my partner Nora along, and and she even got into it uh, because both because there was good places to be, New Orleans and Orlando, but also just you know you, you can't not get kind of captivated by the whole scene. But you know, I remember thinking at the time it was so the, both shows were so long. And you're kind of tired by the end and, you know, and, and, you know, candidly you're drunk, right? You've had several beers or whatever, and you kind of just want it to, uh, to, to end. And I remember thinking then, boy, I'd much prefer if it were two nights. And then now that we've got that wish, I don't know, it doesn't have that same like special 
one night, you know, I, I, I kind of wish that, I, and I understand, I want everybody, I want all these guys to get paid and everything. So I understand why they have, you know, lots of matches and why these things go long. But there, there's just something special about, you know, telling the story in, in let's say, three hours and being able to just kind of in and out. It's like, you know, they say in journalism, like, you think you need 2,000 words to tell that story, but probably you can do it in 500. And, and like, you should think about that as, as you, you know, as you write, I always try to be very tight. Um, I, I kind of wish the show w- was a little bit tighter. I will say, uh, I thought the end of that first night with the tag team match, uh, with, with Owens and Zayn winning the title, I thought that was as good of a match and as good of a story um, as they could have told the first night, I thought was so much better than the second night. Although um, I was not um, a a huge opponent of, uh, I know some people were of, of Roman Reigns winning and in, in that that kind of storyline continuing on. And the reason why I'm really long winded here, so you can cut me off. But no, go ahead. The, go ahead. <laughs> the reason why I like it, I liked it so much, actually goes back to a couple of, I guess, a year ago. In Providence, uh, they had the pay-per-view. I think it was Backlash. Yeah, it must have been a year ago. And uh, we took our uh, we took our friend. One of our really close friends has two sons, and you know they're in that prime age of liking wrestling. And so we took them to the show. We had really good seats. It was fun. And the last match was like a I think it was like a triple threat tag team match. And it was the it was Roman and the Usos and. Um, the the best part of that night was watching the kids that we took uh just like you know they really believed that that they that Roman was going to lose and and they did such a good job telling the story and then you know they were heartbroken when when of course you know the the um, uh, the the tribal chief you know prevails and i remember just it took me back to being 7 years old and i was like Boy, that was such good storytelling, and so I've been such a fan of those guys ever since. And so I kind of like the I like the idea of Roman like just continuously like dragging little kids along to think that he's beat, and then he just wins again, and it'll just be so much better when he when they eventually find kind of the right person, I think, to beat him. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in total agreement with you on this too, and I know that we're we are sort of in the minority. Um, I was listening to uh, Jim Cornette's podcast, which I try to listen to all the time because he's so entertaining. Oh yeah, he's hilarious, and he's and he's got great insights. But he, you know, him and his co-host Brian are both sort of on the uh, the page that Cody really should have won, that it was a mistake, that it was sort of like Lex Luger losing uh, at SummerSlam to uh, I think it was Yokozuna. Yep, um, and how that just derailed his entire. Um, you know, his, his entire storyline. But to me, it's like, you know, when you, when you have a, someone like Roman, right, who's had the, the title for so long, you know, who beat Brock Lesnar three times in a row, it's like, how is he, does it make sense that he's just, he's going to lose to Cody Rhodes, who I like, like, I like Cody Rhodes and everything, but is it really, is he really the guy, right? Is, is that sort of your thinking as well? Like, 100%. And that, that's the thing is like, the, you know, the Cody storyline is good. And by the way, Cody's a fascinating figure because of everything that he's done in the business and obviously the family stuff. Uh, and, you know, I think it's awesome that he went up, he, you know, proved that he could, you know, do his own thing, make a lot of money, become much more famous and then come back. But it doesn't have the feel of, 
you know, even what, and I wasn't the biggest, this is a part of, you know, part of the time where I was kind of out on the, on the, the day to day or the week to week show, but you know, of John Cena being able to overcome things to win or, you know, or of course like a Hulk Hogan or, you know, the big Bret Hart, you know, the, just being able to like overcome adversity. I'm not sure that, that Cody, is as over as those guys were. I feel like it's a little bit, you know, it's kind of forced. Um, and, you know, he came, he just came right back and then he gets hurt for a long time, which you can't fault anybody for getting hurt. But there is something to be said about consistency and being seen on the show. I would almost wish that you get, he's not in the character right now for it, but somebody like, uh, uh, you know, a Seth Rollins, I would always think it would be, I think it'd be awesome if Kevin Owens could be the one to take him down. I think Kevin Owens is just such a great character, but somebody who can really, really work, who, you know, who fans have like strong feelings for that, that would be sort of my preference of it. But you know what? I'll give credit where credit is due if they carry this story on, you know, I know it's, it's going in a little bit of a different direction right now, but if, if it comes back in next year, a year from now, you know, Cody has struggled and struggled and people seem to really like him. Um, you know, it could be really cool to have him come back and win. Uh, I just, I'm, he doesn't strike me as the guy, um, to, to take down Roman Reigns. And I, I, again, I, you know, I prefer Rollins or a, or an Owens or even a Zane, um, but you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it is, it's sort of almost like it almost would have been made more sense from a, you know, who's more over perspective to have Sammy beat him than to have yeah. Cody win. And, um, w- you know, getting back to the sort of fascination that you have about the business end of it, what role do you think that the sale of WWE to Endeavor played in the decision as to who was going to win that match like do you think that it's because obviously wrestlemania was sort of almost like a big infomercial for the company prior to that sale do you think that the the do you think that the buying of wwe the purchase of it was contingent on him remaining the champion i'm not sure it was contingent but i i think in some of these cases it's you know, you've heard this phrase because you follow it for so long. They talk about, you know, doing what's best for the business or what's best for business. I think it was crystal clear that that Roman Reigns in, you know, in a moment where you're you're about to do this massive, you know, nearly $10 billion sale. You want somebody who has uh, the most name recognition possible to be your top guy. And I think... In, in a different era, of course, it would have been a Hulk Hogan. Of course, it would have been The Rock or Austin um, or uh, or John Cena. Those are the people who who have really carried it, I think. I, I'm a personally, a, I, my favorite person of all time is Brett. But Brett didn't quite have it, particularly in America, the way the way those other guys, I think, did. And so I, I, I think that it wasn't, you know, there's no way that, that the folks at Endeavor <laughs> said, you know, we're going to pull out of this $10 billion deal if you put the title on Cody Rhodes. But I just think it was pretty widely known probably within the business that you want the biggest star because it sets up for so much. It sets up for, you know, when this sale, you know, goes through, if it's either the first quarter of next year or the, the end of this year, 
um, as they start to market this and as that, you know, as they, as Endeavor takes it in a different direction, you know, you just want the guy who is the most famous person um, as your face of the company. You want Roman Reigns at the UFC matches and, you know, in doing the, the interviews and all that stuff. Whereas when it's, when it's a Cody Rhodes, it's a cool story. It's a great wrestling story. I think for kind of nerds like you and I might actually, it's kind of cool, but broader their bigger picture. I think it, it made complete sense uh, for, for Reigns to win. And I'm going to assume that just in talking to you, just in this you know brief amount of time that you're, you also are probably against the whole idea, whole idea of having multiple champions and multiple belts as, as someone oh, who wishes there was it. one champion yeah i hate it i i can't it used to be you know i <laughs> i was i was back home in connecticut this past weekend with some friends and we were uh you know we were having just kind of a boys weekend and we were laughing about we were talking about sports and we were laughing about how you know we used to know if you told me almost any player on like an nba roster i would have been able to tell you where they went to college, you know, a memory of what they did in the NCAA tournament, things like that. You know, I, I'm a hardcore sports guy. So we, we, and we were laughing about that. And we were saying how, you know, it's kind of changed. You obviously get older and you don't really know. If you were to look at your random NBA roster, you might not know where most of those guys went. And similarly, I mean, there's a stretch certainly throughout the 90s where I could have told you every heavyweight, every intercontinental champion, probably could have gotten close to every tag team champion. And, and now I just feel like it doesn't really mean anything. And I understand the concept of, you know, you're, you make so much money off of raw and so much money off of SmackDown and having, you know, the concept of two champions, um, you know, it, it, it sort of makes sense. And then you of course can unify it when you have somebody like a Roman, but I don't know. I, I, I think like all of the title changes and, and just the number of titles really kind of post WCW. Um, I think it, it has sort of, uh, it has made the, the, the being the champion kind of worthless. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, obviously I totally agree with you. And I think that the reason, one of the reasons why those two main events of WrestleMania um, went over so well, despite people maybe being upset with the outcome was because there was someone, some, the stakes were so much higher because yes. it, was, it was right. It was a unified, there were both unified titles. And I, I couldn't help but thinking that the, the Rhea Ripley match against Charlotte Flair, as awesome as it was, it, the, the stakes just weren't as high because you've got another championship match happening the next night with somebody else. Right. It's sort of, it's sort of like, well, she's not the champion. She's a champion, right? It's just, it's, it's a small difference, but it matters. Right. I think it matters completely. Now, you know, the hard part about this is, is that you and I are not the demographic, right. That's, that's kind of clinging to this and the world has changed and, you know, everybody's, you know, you're watching things just streaming or on YouTube and things like that. And so I, I do think that you, you know, the more you make it seem like there are stakes, I, I get it. Maybe for little kids, it, 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 it kind of matters more. I, I suppose I could see that we went to raw in Providence uh, a couple of months ago and, um, you know, we, we were in a, uh, we were lucky we were in a box and we had, you know, a couple of friends that, that brought their kids and you could see the difference. The kids kind of didn't pay attention to the, just the random matches. But then like if the champion, whoever the champion was, whether it was women or men came out, 
they were, you know, they were kind of uh, uh, glued to it a little more. And so they could, this could just be you and I are old and, and maybe we're wrong, but I don't know. I find it to be, uh, uh, I like when, when you know the one champion and you know what, you know, it's going to, what it's going to take to kind of beat them and what it will all mean. Having multiple champions, I just, I don't love, especially particularly the down, I'm going to call it like the down ballot uh, uh, titles, like the tag team titles. I don't know. I, having two different ones is strange to me. Um, having, you know, a bunch of different, like even having like a U.S. title and an intercontinental title. I, I kind of just wish there was sort of, you know, heavyweight intercontinental tag team. And you could certainly do that for the women too, but I don't know th- that you need a hundred other ones. Well, I, I mean, I'm in total agreement with you, and I think I think you're right, though. I think that one thing that wrestling has to do, I think, and, and the trouble they have more than almost any other um, form of entertainment is this balance they have to walk between appealing to kids and appealing to adults who are nostalgic or uh, adults who maybe want a more adult product, right? I mean, they, there was the era when we grew up, it was very much geared towards kids. And then as the uh, attitude era came in, it was very much geared towards uh, teenagers and older kids and young adults. Um, and they kind of go back and forth, but th- and that can't be an easy line for them to walk. And so I'm, I'm sure that that's, you know, probably one of their sort of biggest conundrums when they're coming up with these storylines and trying to put stuff on TV is, is how to make everybody happy. Right. And they probably, it's impossible to do that, obviously. So I think, you know, I, I almost wonder if, and in, in in this is sort of my last question for you is, do you think that the product in general might be able to strike that balance better if one of the television shows was, you know, more PG for the kids and let's say like say SmackDown and let's say Raw was, you know, a little bit edgier for sort of the older crowd in this way, there's something for everybody. Oh, that's a really good question. I, I've never thought of it that way. I, I have so many thoughts overall on this, though, because I do think, you know, it, it's it, it is an interesting and it, it, you know, you go back to the, the you know very kind of first question you asked and you think about sort of like the politics and, you know, the, the you know, what the what it says about the world and its ties to wrestling. And you do. The one thing I'll say is that and maybe this could be a. a I may be overlooking some things, but you know, the story of Hulk Hogan in the eighties is this like great American story and he's a superhero and the kids love him. And, and you know, that's what kind of builds up the business. And then you get into the nineties and you, you start to see like, it, it becomes cool to be bad, right? The NWO starts that with WCW in a real way. And I, you know, I can remember being 10 years old and like, you know, doing the too sweet sign with my friends and having an NWO shirt. And then, you know, then there's no hero there, right? You don't even want, even like, even when Sting was coming back and, and all that stuff, you don't, you, you still wanted Hogan and Hall and Nash to win. And then, so the WWF kind of looks at that and says, all right, we need to take it even one further. And suddenly, you know, you're into, you know, you're into Austin giving the middle finger. You're into DX telling people to suck it. And I was as bad as anybody. I was a kid that had the DX <laughs> shirt. And I, and I, I can't believe my, my, my older sister would say, I can't believe we ever let you wear a DX shirt to school. Like how your <laughs> teachers must've thought you were the worst. And, and so then, right. You know, like the business, goes in and out and it went, you know, became more of a PG product and, you know, it's, it's taken its turns a little more, but 
I do wonder, particularly with the sale to Endeavor, you know, how do you get the business really hot again? The hottest time is is the moments when it's when it's pretty salacious, when it's you know the rock on the mic kind of saying whatever he wanted, when it's it's really kind of some of those storylines were very provocative. You know, you would you'll never go back to the, like violence against women or like uh, or something like the sexualization of women, and for good reason. But you you know, I do wonder if that company is willing to, uh, you know, to, to kind of, maybe you do go in two different, you go to two different shows or two different products. Um, because I do think you need to find a way to get like the teenagers interested or, or the, you know, the, let's say 11 to 14 interested, because that's when, you know, Suddenly, the, their their families will spend a lot on them. Um, it's not just action figures. Now it's T-shirts. It's you know it, it's it's all kinds of different things that can make money for the company. Um, and, and so, I would like it in some ways to be to to get a little more edgy. That being said, you know I've got a my first kid on the way next month, and we're oh, having congratulations. a congratulations. Thank you very much, and we're having a boy, so I can guarantee that I will do my damnedest to make sure that he's into wrestling. And I may feel differently, you know, when I'm when I'm taking my six year old to, uh, you know, to to the Amica Mutual Pavilion, and if if suddenly everybody's swearing and and yelling, and my kid starts to mim- uh, mimic it, you know, I, I may want a G product, but. I don't know. There's a part of me that feels like the way to really get that bit, get the business hot again is to have it do stuff that's controversial that people talk about outside of kind of the, um, the bubble that we all live in. Right. Yes. And I, you know, and one thing you'll realize when, when that kid comes is there is no shortage of entertainment for, you know, for little kids up to, you know, seven, eight years old. And there really isn't a lot of entertainment out there that's geared specifically towards teenagers that isn't like some sort of like, you know, melodram- melodramatic um, high school sort of CW yeah, show, I, I right? It. Um, it's, and like, I, it's like it's like Dawson's Creek all yep. over again for all the, all the kids yep. now. <laughs> and I'll tell you something. I, I and I've said this many times. I've never heard a louder noise than when I was at Monday Night Raw. I think it was 2000 or 2001, and it was when Steve Austin uh, made a, a, a face turn and came out to help the WWE uh, during yes. the invasion angle at the Civic Center. I swear to you, I, I've never heard anything that loud. It, it, it felt like the building was shaking. It was that insane. Um, and so I think you're right. I think, I think that in terms of excitement and, and momentum, that's probably the sweet spot they want to hit. Um, Dan, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I could, I could talk to you for hours easily, uh, about this, but I know, uh, you're short on time and, um, I really appreciate the time you've been able to give to me to, to talk about this stuff because it's so fascinating and I know we both love it so much. No problem at all, Eric. I'll come on anytime because I think it's really fun. And uh, let's 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 do it again the next time there's big news, which I'm sure was ri- is right around the corner. Right on, man. Yeah, maybe I'll see you after SummerSlam. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, thanks, Dan. All right, thanks, man. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast. I gotta go. Go where? We just got. I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together. Okay, this way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.